And so, Lord, in Jesus' name, as we come to your word, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would move us. Lord, I was reminded this week of the road to Emmaus where two men walked with Jesus after the resurrection, unknowing of who he was. And Jesus, you expounded all of the scriptures, showing them how it was always about you. And then when you broke bread, they recognized who you were. And they said, did our hearts not burn within us? And I asked this morning, Lord, that when we leave this place, we would say the same thing. That our hearts not burn within us as he spoke with us, as he dwelt among us. We love you, Jesus. You make life sweet. We give you all glory and honor and praise in your wonderful name. Everybody say amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This line of scripture tucked in Hebrews chapter 11 in what we call the Faith Hall of Fame lists Rahab the prostitute along with all the great fathers and mothers of the faith. For instance, it lists Abraham receiving by the promise Isaac and then in faith being willing to sacrifice Isaac, believing that God would raise him from the dead. It mentions Sarah who conceived by faith. It mentions Joseph who, who um, it says that Joseph asked that his body be taken out of Egypt, believing that there would be a day when Israel would experience an exodus. It mentions by faith, Moses' parents kept him from Pharaoh's promised death. By faith, Moses kept the, the Passover and led Israel out of Egypt through the great Red Sea. By faith, it continues, verse 32 through 38. And what more shall I say, the author of Hebrews writes, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. So the author of Hebrews reminds us of, of Daniel and David, of Samson and Samuel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the prophets are alluded to here. Church history, Jewish history tells us that Isaiah the prophet was sawn into two, so when the author of Hebrews says some were even sawn into two, he's alluding to Isaiah. And so we're, we're told of the prophet's great faith. But Rahab the prostitute, thrown in this list, by faith she did not perish. You remember, of course, she is the prostitute of Joshua chapter 2, we'll study today, who received the spies and protected the spies. James, the brother of Jesus, in chapter 2 of his letter, he's arguing against 
saying that you have faith, saying that you're saved by faith, and then living in sin and living in iniquity. He's saying that saving faith is something that someone possesses and it produces a certain kind of fruit. In other words, he's saying you can't trick God by pretending to have faith and then living however you want to live and saying that you believe on one hand, but living as if you don't believe. So James says, remember Abraham. He possessed faith, but his faith produced obedience. And then next to Abraham, he says, and remember Rahab, the prostitute. She possessed faith, but her faith led to obedience. So even James in the early church is already putting Rahab next to Abraham. Why not David? Why not Joseph or Samuel the prophet or Daniel and his great faithfulness? Why not Daniel? Why Rahab? And then the church fathers, I I was fascinated this week as I studied out these texts to realize how much the early church fathers talked about Rahab. Justin Martyr, for instance, says of Rahab that she was the shadow of what was to come, that we were all, everyone in the church, we were all really Rahabs. We were all harlots grafted in through faith. Clement of Rome, first century, very, very early church father, talked so much about Rahab. He said on one occasion, there was prophecy in the woman. And of course you can't miss that Matthew lists Rahab in the genealogy of Jesus. Reminds us that uh, Boaz, who married Ruth, who had a son named Obed, who had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David, that Boaz's mother was Rahab. And so, again, prostitute, because of faith, grafted into Israel. And then she'll carry along the seed of Messiah, of God in the flesh. Why does the church love this story so much? The prostitute we meet in these lines is the great-great-grandmother of David and the ancestor of Christ Jesus himself. We see here in these lines harlotry and redemption. And again, Justin Martyr says, that's really about you. That we all in sin and rebellion are harlots before God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb through faith. Now let's read. We're going to read all of Joshua 2. I say this all the time. Anyway, I ain't going to say it. It's a whole chapter. Some of you guys haven't read a whole chapter all week long. So listen up. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And when they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there, it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to close at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them within the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them I know that the Lord has given you the land and the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you 
For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, as I have dealt kindly with you, also deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, and my sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Shut that off. Just kidding. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Verse 15. And then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go away. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, listen to this, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother and your brothers and all your father's household. If anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. We shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is within your house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to you with the oath that you've made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed. And she tied that scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went in the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened. They said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Now, remember where we left off in our series. Last week, we studied Joshua's instruction to the Israelites. Remember the first couple weeks, God's instructing Joshua, and then Joshua turns to instruct the Israelites. We read last week of Joshua saying to all of Israel, get your supplies ready for in two days we're going to cross the Jordan. And then we read Joshua saying to the tribes of Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh, gather your swords and your weapons, get ready, we're going to fight. And then we looked at the beautiful statement of Israel when they said to Joshua, we will follow you as we followed Moses, only as long as the Lord is with you. As long as you're submitted to the Lord, Joshua, we will obey. So now the narrative turns. We've stepped into the story. The people are gathering their supplies back at the camps. And Joshua, who is a military strategist, sends two spies specially into Jericho. Now, of course, this should remind you of Moses sending 12 spies into the land of Canaan. This is clearly Joshua replicating what they did before with a distinct difference. Moses sent 12 spies. Two came back. Caleb and Joshua and said, let's take it. God will give it to us. It's a beautiful land. The other 10 trembled with fear and deposited fear into the hearts of Israel. Now Joshua's in the same boat. He needs to spy Jericho out. 
He knows that in a matter of days, they will go to war with Jericho, which is a walled city. And so he needs two spies to go in and to check it out. Find the weak spots. Let me know how, we're, how, we, can, how we can enter. Is there a way for us to conquer? We need, we need to know what's happening in that city. But Joshua says to himself, I will not send 12. I'll send two. And I'll make sure, sure these two are men of courage. And I'll make sure they're men of boldness. Because I will not give opportunity to the, to the unbelievers to spread fear amongst the people. And we learn from that principle that the church ought to operate in the same way. When we begin to spy out the land and to, to think about what God's called us to do, we need to look for men of courage and boldness to lead the way. We should not make room for men of unbelief. So there we pick up these two men, not 12-2, on a mission. They come to Jericho, the great walled city, and they enter into the, the house of the prostitute Rahab. Now, why would they enter into the prostitute's house? Some suggest that they were lured by her beauty. There's myth that says that Rahab was one of the four most beautiful women in all of the earth. People say that to me all the time. You're one of the four most beautiful men in all of the earth. Look at you. If you could email that to my wife, it would be very meaningful. No, the text, the text doesn't allude to that at all. The text does not allude to or ever tell us that they engaged in any sexual activities with the prostitutes. Rather, what the text does tell us is that her house is built into the wall. Archaeologist tells us that this is um, really common in the time that when a city was walled like that, that at times there would be houses built into the wall. And so when we see um, the two spies get ready to escape, it's really convenient just to slide out of her window and be out of the city, right? And so there was, one, the intentionality of having an escape plan. Two, it was very common, obviously, for men to be coming and going from the house of a prostitute. And so there was a bit of disguise and cover to slip into a house where men were coming and going all day long. Others wouldn't pay too much attention. Now, what we, what we read is that the king has come to know what's going on. There are two Israelites who have come in. They've come to the house of Rahab and they're spying out the land. They're, they're looking about. They're trying to figure out where our weak places are. And so... Rahab hears that the king has sent authorities to her house to take these men. She has a moment of crisis to consider. The authorities are on the way. They're coming to take them away. And she could, of course, just turn them in. Why not? What do these men mean to her? But on the other hand, she's been pondering these Israelites for a long time. It's been years since God brought Israel through the Red Sea. She seems to have still holding that testimony in her heart. On the other hand, she fears what's to come. On the one side, Jericho's a walled city. Nobody's ever taken Jericho. Maybe their God's not capable. On the other side... Every time they put their hand to battle, their God gives them victory. On one hand, Jericho has gods they worship, or their gods unable to protect them from the God of Scripture. On the other hand, Egypt had gods too. 
And so think of the, the time's ticking. The sand's falling out of the little hourglass. The men are on their way and she's pondering, what should I do? Do I give these men over and protect my family now? Or do I partner with them, believing that their God will deliver me? And here we find faith, biblical faith, in the heart of a prostitute. In the hour of decisions, she says this to the two spies, authorities coming her way. She says this, I know that the Lord has given you the land. The fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt. And we heard what you did to the kings of the Amorites. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. Remember that when, when our modern translations give us the term Lord in all caps, literally the Hebrew text gives the tetragrammaton or the, the four characters that the Jews would write for the name of Yahweh. And so literally what she says, she doesn't say, your, your Lord, your God is the God of the heavens of the earth. She says, no, amongst all the gods, Yahweh is God of heaven and earth. Yahweh is Lord. She is determining in this moment to cast herself upon the mercy of Yahweh and faith believing that he is supreme. Now she says, hide on my roof. I'll protect you now. I'll risk my life now. I'll risk my family's lives now. Come hide on the stalks above my roof. Church, don't miss. This is what the early church never missed. Don't miss that the Bible celebrates from cover to cover this kind of faith. Rahab the harlot, the prostitute, is listed next to Abraham, David, Samson, and Daniel because the scripture values faith. The scripture is very aware of her harlotry, very aware of her sinfulness. The scripture from cover to cover always acknowledges that prior to this moment, she had lived a life of great sin. But the scripture is so unconcerned with her evil acts of her past life and is totally focused on this moment of faith. Why does God love faith? Why is it that God, when we respond in faith, is so willing to cleanse us from our sins and receive us from his own? Why does the, why does the biblical narrative celebrate faith? What is it about God that loves faith? Because God is jealous for his own glory and his own name. And what biblical faith is, is believing God is who he says he is and will accomplish what he said he will accomplish. God is concerned with his name being exalted. And Rahab could have said, oh, the gods of Jericho will deal with him. But rather she said, no, that God is supreme. And when a people get in their heart, no, he is who he says he is. And he will accomplish what he says he'll accomplish. God will pour out grace and mercy to cleanse you of all of your past harlotry. 
God says there's forgiveness and there's mercy. What I'm concerned with is you honoring the glory of my name. What's, what's wrong with the church today in the West? Oh, let me be critical. We've forgotten. We've forgotten the supremacy of God's name. We've forgotten that what we do here on Sunday mornings is not about a display of gifts or the success of men's strategies. What we do here is about defending the glory of His name. This is about being jealous for His glory. God says, when I see that kind of faith, I justify that individual. Now, to, to examine Paul for a moment. This is very much... Pauline theology. When Paul refers to Abraham's encounter with God in Genesis chapter 15, where the scripture says that Abraham believed and God accredited it to him as righteousness. Abraham had not experienced circumcision. The law wasn't given till Moses, hundreds of years later, Paul argues. It's not as though Abraham was declared righteous because of his works. Abraham, no doubt, worshipped pagan gods in his past life. Abraham um, participated in the culture of his world. But now the scripture says God speaks to him and he believes. And God says, that faith, because of that faith, I will accredit it to your account righteousness. You don't have righteousness. You haven't earned righteousness. You won't live righteous or, or earn righteousness in the future. I accredit to you righteousness. I grant to your account righteousness. This is the entirety of Luther's life, making this point. That, that when an individual says to God, I believe you, I take your word as true, I confess faith, God grants you what Luther would call an alien righteousness, a foreign righteousness, meaning it's not yours. God accredits righteousness to Abraham that's not his. It's the very righteousness of Christ Jesus. So when Rahab in this moment confesses faith, the church and James, author of Hebrews, say that she's a woman of righteousness. No, she's a harlot. But there was accredited to her account a righteousness that was not her own. And in the sight of God, she's clothed in the very righteousness of Christ Jesus, as if she lived in Christ's own shoes. Rahab, we find a story of redemption, not because she lived a spotless life, but because she trusted the God of Israel and God imparted to her the righteousness of the spotless lamb. And so Justin Martyr says to the early church, you're the harlot. I'm the harlot. God says that we have all acted rebelliously. We've all acted out unrighteousness. Maybe you're here today and you've participated in great sexual immorality. Maybe you're here today and you've going through a divorce and you know you screwed up. Maybe you're here today and you know you've handled your finances dishonestly. You would say, I know I'm wicked. I know I'm like that woman, a harlot. 
God would say to you today, I am not concerned with your past mistakes. You believe me at my word today. You put your faith in my name. God says, show me faith, trust me, and I will give you a righteousness that's not your own. Now, why did Clement say there's prophecy in the woman? It's a strange thing for a Roman bishop to say, 80, 98-ish, sometime in that period. There's prophecy in the woman. Because when the spies made a covenant with her, they said this, as long as that red cord is hanging from your window, everyone in your house will be safe. God's judgment is looming. God will bring this city to the ground. But everyone who hides behind that red cord will be safe. What are the spies referring to? Ultimately, Jesus. They're clearly appealing to the Passover where God says, there is blood of the lamb. I want you to put it on your doorpost. In, in every home where there's blood on the doorpost, the angel of death will pass it over. All of those who dwell in a house that does not hang the cord, is not bathed in the blood, will be judged by the righteous, just God of the universe. But if you, Rahab, will cling to that scarlet cord with all of your life, you shall be saved. Clement says there's prophecy in the woman because all of the church will carry the same principle. We will have to live like Rahab with a scarlet cord in our window, in our hands, and we should cling to that scarlet cord with all of our lives. The scarlet cord, which is prophetic imagery of the blood of the lamb that will be shed on behalf of the church. You spend your whole life loving the blood of Christ. You spend your whole life pleading the blood of Christ. I don't care if it's uncomfortable to talk about blood in modern society. If the church should quit preaching on the singing on the blood of the Lamb, if culture says that, no, the church clings to the scarlet cord with all the grip she can muster. You make sure you plead that blood of the Lamb over your house. Passover was about the blood of the Lamb. It was a foreshadowing of Christ himself. This is Old Testament prophecy for you and me. I don't care if you're a harlot, Scripture says. Cling to the cord. I don't care about your prostitution. Hold fast to the blood of the Lamb. So Isaiah would say, he would turn our sins, scarlet sin, and make them white as snow. Isaiah would say, obviously, in chapter 53, that there would be a lamb who would be bruised and crushed on our behalf. John the Baptist would say, as Jesus enters the scene, behold, here's the lamb of God. Here's the sacrifice that will atone for your sins. Here's your only hope. You've lived out wickedness evil, unrighteousness. There is guilt and condemnation upon your head. The judgment of God is coming quickly lest you hold fast to the blood of this lamb. That's the testimony of the church. If the church is preaching anything but that, the church is so off course. 
if we allow our gatherings to be about being a better you and not being about holding fast to the scarlet cord, we've missed it. Why did the early church love this? Because they loved the blood. They recognized their need for the blood. They had no room for religious performance, trying to justify themselves based on their own legacy of righteousness. On one hand, Paul says that he's a keeper of the law. And on the other hand, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. Finally, the scripture shows us that Rahab was delivered, that Rahab was grafted into Israel, not because of her bloodline, but because of her faith. The scripture shows us that this harlot married a man, a dignified man named Salmon, who, who some would say was a type of, of prince from the tribe of Judah. She has children. She becomes a pillar in the community. She raises a son named Boaz, who would be remembered as the kinsman redeemer because of his integrity and his character, his wisdom, his faithfulness. And then for all of history, she'll be listed next to Sarah. And God says to us today, you may have lived a life of gross shame, but I will cleanse you and then I will use you despite of your past mistakes. Because of faith. You could say this morning, oh, God could never use me. And I'd say, oh, he used Rahab. And was glad to do it. Now, worship team, come for me. We'll get ready to close. God does not pass by the harlot simply because of her harlotry. He grafts her in because of her faith. So we find here, tucked in the narrative, as Joshua's preparing to lead the people across the Jordan and to Jericho, we find the story of a prostitute being grafted into God's plan. And the early church, martyr, Clement, Many others would say, this story is an invitation to the nations to be grafted into God's redemptive plan, to watch God glorify his name in all the earth, to be justified, to be cleansed, to be redeemed, to be restored. This is an invitation. Why would God in his sovereign supremacy and his perfect foreknowledge use a prostitute? Because he wanted to declare very clearly to the people of the nations that he's willing to use a harlot if she would rise up in faith. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Rahab had an hour of decision, a moment to decide what she'd do. The authorities are coming. I can believe Yahweh and partner with these spies or I can turn them over and trust the gods of Jericho. 
she determines to put her trust in Yahweh. And then she hangs the scarlet thread through her window proudly, desperately, with conviction. God not only delivers her from death and judgment, but he redeems her to a life of fruitfulness. And I say to you, choose today. Will you trust the gods of Jericho or will you trust Yahweh, the God of Scripture? I say to you today, you could, you could tout your list of harlotry long. You could say, I've really screwed things up. And I would say, none of that matters today. What matters is whether or not you'll cling to the scarlet cord. Will you cling to the blood of the lamb? You can be fully, totally forgiven. You can be given a righteousness that is not yours, accredited to your account. Perfection. You, perfection. That should boggle your mind. I know you. But the question of the hour is, will you put your faith and trust in the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? This morning first, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never confessed faith, we want to invite you to come, cling to him. I say freely, there is an hour of, com- of judgment coming. And I'll tell you freely that hell is hot and long, that all those who reject Yahweh will experience judgment that will be just. But this morning you have an opportunity to cling to him, to not only be forgiven, but to be redeemed. If that's you, I want to ask you not to leave this room without getting right with God today. Altar ministers, go ahead and get in place for me. Thank you so much. Don't leave this room without getting right with God today. So the altars are open if you want to come. Next, as we prayed this morning, um, we felt that there was a spirit of offense and unforgiveness that may be trying to settle over the body. If you're struggling with unforgiveness, maybe towards a relative or a neighbor, maybe even towards someone in the church, we want to ask you to come and get right with God, to allow the Lord to, to drive the bitterness out of your heart. There was a word that some are struggling with ankle pain in particular, that maybe some are struggling with uh, some type of rash that, that, that won't break, that we believe God's here to heal you. I want to say quickly, if you're, if you're dealing with anxiety or depression in this hour, I want to ask you to come to the altars this morning, and we're going to believe that the God of Scripture would deposit to your heart a great boldness and faith. You don't have to walk in fear anymore. You can walk with the very strength of God in your bones. So go ahead and come. I don't want you to hesitate. I don't want you to look around. I want you to come and do business with God today.
Come on, magnify him just for another minute. Lift your hands to the Lord. We bless you, Jesus. We honor your name in this place. We say there's no one like you in the heavens or on the earth. You're supreme. You're glorious in all your ways. We trust you. Come on, I trust you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 So, Father, in Jesus' name, we plead the blood of the Lamb over this house. We ask that there would not be a day in our future legacy where we, where we forget to cling to the blood of the Lamb. Let this place always celebrate the scarlet cord and the redemption of God. Crush the head of spiritual pride in this place. Crush the head of religious performance and make this a house of thankfulness for all that Christ Jesus did. So in your glorious name we pray. Somebody say amen. Amen. Well, we love you. We're going to leave the altars open. The worship team is going to hang. So don't run out of here if you need ministry. But if not, we pray you have a wonderful week. And we, we really love you so much. We're honored that you are a part of our family.